Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another fun and exciting episode of 3 to 1 Radio. I am a co-host here, Joe. We've also got Shiloh. And Lisa is unfortunately not with us this evening. She is in Portland uh, visiting one of our Portland sites. Um, Unfortunately, they have a monthly meeting now that coincides with the radio show. Um, And so every couple months, she'll have to... Uh, dart off. We also have an amazing special guest. Yes, we do. Yes. Uh, my name is Rick McLaughlin, uh, owner of Big Time Brewery and president of U District Small Business Association. Thanks for having me. Of course. You may recognize that voice because we have had Rick on the show a couple of times before. So it's good to have you back. Um, thanks for coming. Um, as we did mention at the last show, because our studio is so small and we are in the summertime months, it gets very warm in here. So I just want to set the tone. We are all as promised in our speedos, um, just letting sort of the sweat fall um, and the conversation flow. So um, let's just start the show off with that visual. Um, Shiloh, I feel, I feel like it's just a bunch of men in a sweat at lodge. We're at a sweat lodge. We're yeah. we're here. We're sweating. <laughs> we're we're talking. We're we're exploring issues that we think are important. That we hope our listeners also think are important. Um, before we jump into the real meat and potatoes of that, which is an interesting visual along with the speedos, um, but before we get started, um, just quick check-in. How are you doing? Like, how's the summer treating you so far, Shiloh? It's great. Um, you know, summer in the U District. So for most people who don't know, I am a, one of the lifelong U District residents. And so I've always really enjoyed summer. A lot of the student potty kind of disappears and you get a lot of the, like, you know, folks who live and work in the neighborhood, and it gets a lot of clear, a little uh, clearer on the uh, sidewalk. Um, <laughs> uh, although, unfortunately, the restaurants and uh, the bars, I think, are probably a little lighter in the summer. Um, um, but it's a t- time you can get to have really in-depth conversations with folks. Mm-hmm. Get to know your neighbors a little get bit to more. Na- get to know your neighbors uh, more. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of summer in the U District. Um, and you know, it's, I was actually, this is a total weird tangent, but when I was a young, a weird tangent. Yeah. (laughs) So when I was a young street kid in the summer, we would go down to the cut and we would jump in the water, um, near where like the UW had these little property and docks. Um, and like the, we would just, all the street kids would just kind of go and jump in the water and play in the water as the boats, uh, pass by. I think of the the amount of oil slicks that we probably slept, uh, swam in, and the, you know. I'm glad that you were here today to, to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that I'm sure they would be never allow anyone just to do that. I'm sure there's a fence or a, <laughs> or a building or or some sort of structure there that would yeah. prohibit. But that. all those toxics, um, you know, gave us better immune systems. That's what I'm holding to. I, I hear hardly hear you with the cold. Yeah. Rick, what about you? How is is the summer? Before you answer, I have to tell you, um, I finally made it to the big time. Awesome. And it was everything I had dreamed it would be. It was delicious. It was wonderful. Service was great. Good. Um, there were, it was crowded, but but I didn't feel like I did, my needs weren't met. So, so thank you for providing that wonderful place for uh, good libation and good food. Awesome. Yeah, that's what brew pubs are kind of like their niche is becoming like community centers. Uh, where everybody kind of comes in and feels welcome and just gets to enjoy good food and beer. Yeah, the thing that really impressed me is that it was towards the end of the school year, so there were uh, definitely a lot of students, a lot of young folks, but there were also um, folks of of various different ages. Um, There was a table not too far from us that had 
um, just like the cutest little old men that were just talking really seriously about something with their big thing of beer. And uh, it definitely felt like a community like gathering spot. So yeah, I like it. mission accomplished. Perfect. Thank you. Actually, some of my high school friends uh, who live in the neighborhood, they have commented repeatedly that they are now starting to go to big time and play games. Like getting, because you have the big booths now. Yeah. So they can go and get a booth and get like five or six people. Nice. And they can get like, you know, they'll do like a board game or something. And they can get food and drink. And just a, not another little shout out um, for it, you know, brew pubs, you know. Get, getting old school with all the board games. So you provide the board games? No. We have we have some there. Oh, do you? Ah. Yeah, we have cribbage boards and cards and whatnot. Oh, you just got to ask the bartender for them if you want. But a lot of people bring their own because they want to play a very specific game where it actually has all the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> that is important. Cribbage, yeah. I remember I liked for a while, but it's very heavy mathy. So it's, it's not, not too bad. Yeah. Just I'm, quick math. I'm a backgammon person. So oh, I love. I never learned to play. Never. We should try fun. to do that sometime. Anyway, how how's your summer going so far? It's going good. We actually won uh, Seattle's Best Brew Pub in Seattle Magazine. Congratulations. Wow. That's exciting. So we're number one this year. It's awesome. So thank you for everybody that voted and supports big time. That's, I mean, the most humbling thing in the entire world. Um, and really, you know, I've got no complaints. We're trying to uh, push the envelope for food and beer in the city. Uh, next thing we're going to be doing is a burger week where we're going to bring in, um, like, wild boar, and buffalo and ostrich and all sorts of exotic meats and make wow. awesome hamburgers out of them and see how that goes. After that will be uh, a taco week where we bring in a whole bunch of different sauces and we make our own sauces and create our own flavors and marinate the meat and you know try to have an abundance of different you know styles of tacos that people can order from different areas of Mexico um, and Need the world. A taco judge. Yeah, volunteer. <laughs> sign me up for Burger Week. Yeah. Well, how how we're gonna judge it is based off of sales. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. So whichever one has the most sales, then we'll run that as a special again afterwards. Okay. Um, and then we're gonna do it. Wing Week, um, Pizza Week. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun because uh, essentially we get to push the envelope as far as um, you know how food and beer is prepared in the city. Now, have you given any thought to introducing vodka to the menu? You know, uh, hard liquor is definitely, you know, a thing that I've opposed in the past because I don't want to attract the younger clientele uh, oh. that's in the area. Because, you know, as you notice when you're at Big Time, there's a lot of older patrons there. It's kind of the adult hangout on the Ave. Um, and yeah. it's very it's family friendly. The, the professors hang out. Yeah, a lot of, yeah. A lot of retired <laughs> and current professors come in there. Um, and what I'm, I'm trying to create is an environment for, you know, adults and families and everybody to come in and feel safe and welcome, as well as, you know, college students. Um, but you tend to find out that, you know, when they're drinking that the liquor, that they get a little bit buzzed quicker, uh, you know. And so we, we try to monitor that closely. All right. Well, I'll check back in a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a for sure forever no. Uh, it's just at the moment right now. I'm still doing good on sales. You know, if I'm ever hurting, then I'll be like, oh, let's add in some liquor. Like Joe will be there. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it does attract a clientele. And then there's a very heavy adult clientele that I could attract, too, where it's not just student-based, like mm -hmm. yourself, where what I would do if I were to implement that, I would probably only buy from local distilleries in Washington State. Support so the home team. That way it's yep. supporting local distilleries, and the price tag will be higher. You know, we wouldn't really have wells or high-end we would just probably support you know like, like one or cocktails and stuff yeah but we would probably just do like one or two vodkas one or two whiskeys where that's like oh we buy a westland or 
you know, uh, Copperworks and, or Batch 206. You know, we have amazing distilleries here. And what that would do is it would be a little bit more expensive. So you'd have to come in, but you'd be like, oh, wow, this is a really good, you know, uh, spirit. I don't mind spending $9, you know, for a drink because it's awesome. I'm supporting local. And then that kind of keeps the 21-year-old crowd, you yeah. know, still kind of away because they're like, what's your cheapest shot? And we're like, oh, we don't do shots, you know. Anyway, so that's that's how I'd implement it if I did. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah. Um, it's a classy place. It is a very good place. I, I highly recommend it. Well, and you know, I haven't, uh, you haven't been in since the winter, and I can tell you, like, in the snow days, um, that big time was open the whole time. There was food there. People came in who, you know, maybe their power was out, or you know, you know, or they just everything was closed and big time was open. And I ended up spending, in, in those days, spending a lot of time in uh, big time, you know, because it's it's really. You know, it really is kind of the community center for the neighborhood. Um, and it's really the place where people kind of, you know, if, you know, it's about if it's about the neighborhood and a, a meeting place and a greeting place, because there's not really those places like the Wizards of the Coast, you know, and those kind of places that used to be here the, that had those big um, kind of spaces for yeah. that. That's all gone, you know. Yeah, it's hard to afford big spaces these days in Seattle. So I mean, that's even, kind of part of the reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even I the Irish. That, that sounds like a segue. Well, yeah. is, like, yeah. is, is Dante's Dante's is gone now. It's still gone. I don't know if it's going to reopen or not, but it's still it's still and, closed. And the Immigrant is gone. Yeah. Um, and so those are those are two of our biggest bars. Yeah. Well, I think the Immigrant became the Black Raven for a while, and then and then, and then it closed a down. Shop. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> then it went in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny those snow days were interesting because it was hard for a lot of my staff to get around, and so I had to drive around and pick them up and then take them home from work afterwards at the end of the night. So I was pretty tired those days, yeah. but it was fun because we got to you know kind of have that like family feel in the district. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I I love it. Um, but getting to uh, uh, changing topics a little, changing topics um, a little so bit. So people aren't going. Why are they talking about their lives? <laughs> so long. Well, I just wanted. I want to give a quick shout out. Um, my summers is going well. Is it? Um, Mother Tinsley is in town, so uh, she should be listening uh, right now if she figured out how to use her phone. So, <laughs> good evening, Mother Tinsley. We are, are thinking of you. So there's at least one person listening. There. We, uh, hopefully, <laughs> Scott should be listening too. Shout out to my part, my partner boyfriend yeah. Scott. Um, but yes, we should have at least two listeners um, awkwardly thinking of us. You. Um, in our Speedo <laughs> sitting yeah. here in the um, studio. <laughs> well, hopefully Scott has seen you in a Speedo. Um, close to, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So is Mother Tinsley come every summer now? Mother Tinsley comes twice a year. Uh, she spends generally about a month here in the wintertime and then about a month in the summer to escape okay. the super hot heat of Arizona. Okay. Yes. So, hey there, Mother Tinsley. So, um... Can I talk about methadone now? Methadone clinic on wheels. Yes. So um, some of the listeners might not have, of the two that are listening, um, <laughs> might not have known, um, we got methadone back in the U District. Yay! Yay! And most people don't realize that we had a methadone clinic in the 70s in the U District, and it went away. Um, in the 80s, the 80s didn't do well for this neighborhood. Um, there was a lot of social service and a lot of systems that... Uh, went away. We also had an open door free clinic that when it was gone, we we had an old style co op 
that like you know you would go in and you'd get like you know 50 pounds of bananas and you have to like horse trade to who would to, who'll get you, take some of your bananas off your things and you you get some other stuff um and so they have returned um and so what that means for most people is it means that uh folks who uh want methadone and just so we're clear if you have an opiate addiction the number one um the number one way to recover is through medication-assisted treatment. Mm -hmm. We have a Suboxone clinic here, um, and we've been trying to get the methadone clinic here for years. Um, and it used to be, um, you know, you can imagine there can be someone who wants, who's addicted to opiates and would like to recover. They used to have to go down to Sam, or not, sorry, go down to Airport Way, uh, do, do the case management, do the appointments, going every single day before 11 yep. and if you were homeless or if you didn't have enough money for a bus fare it just became problematic or if you had a job yeah you had a job um and um so now we have a van that is across the street from the university temple methodist church um and so people can come in and it's between six and nine um so a lot of it's a lot of the nine to fivers who are working and don't have to go all the way down to the south end. Mm -hmm. um, they can just pop in and get their methadone. And they're getting ready to expand to do case management and to do their appointments uh, with a second van right uh, next to the first van. And so you won't, the goal will be that you never have to leave the U District in order to receive treatment. Because it's serving folks that are already in this neighborhood, in this community. So it makes it easier for them to achieve their goal of, of not using opiates, but having this um, this medication to help with that. Yeah, and there's like, you know, um, Evergreen and, and methadone kind of usually by the federal laws is a lot more um, regulated and has a lot more hoops for people to go to. So I think it's really good for folks who really need that structure um, to have that there, like you have to show up every day, you know, and then the folks who like want a looser structure can come to our Suboxone clinic, right? And then we can also, folks that we, maybe it doesn't work, one doesn't work for one person and we can kind of pass them off, you know. Um, and the other thing is we have seen over 150 people uh, in the last year at our Suboxone what a, that's clinic. That's amazing. What that a blessing. So amazing. Um, and so, you know, think about that. So a year ago, we had no treatment in uh, the, or in the neighborhood. And uh, now we have two... Uh, places um, that we, you can access treatment and you know um, I'm trying to work on um, trying to my next stage and you know like treatment on demand is really to start working on methamphetamine treatment um, and we'll go into that in later shows and stuff like that but I want to give kind of everyone an update on the treatment um, system that's great and what's what's the biggest difference between like a suboxone treatment and a methadone treatment so um, the nice thing about Suboxone is, is it can be between you and your doctor. And I think, I mean, there's, pro there's definitely the medical, so there's definitely the drugs are different. Um, I think the thing that I, the reason I really like um, Suboxone is it can be between you and your doctor. You can see your doctor every two weeks. You can go in and you, um, it, it doesn't have to go through all these federal hoops, right? Methadone is federally regulated, 
And you can imagine with the, you know, anytime you get the feds involved, there's a thousand hoops that seem to have no sense, but just happen to do it. I mean, for example, um, working a, with government is easy. What are you talking <laughs> about? Um, so just for example, there, uh, last time I checked, uh, Evergreen down in airport way, technically were three clinics because you have a max number of people you can have per clinic, regardless of your space and your staffing. And so they have three separate doors in the wow. same building just so they can have three separate clinics so they can have the amount of people. And the reason they're in airport way is because that was the only place that would let them move in. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, realistically, every single neighborhood should have some sort of treatment. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the show before too. Um, and you know, I do also, you know, for folks who don't know, um, Rick was a huge supporter of getting our Suboxone clinic in and he really did push, uh, and did a lot of work in trying to make sure that it, it happened. You know, and it's like, you know, with us, it's always going to be kind of a business and nonprofit working together to solve problems in the neighborhood. Um, because that's what neighborhoods do, right? That's, you that's work called together. community. Yeah. That is how community works together, which is a big focus uh, of our show, uh, as our many listeners, of course, know. All two of them. Thank you, Mother Tinsley and Scott. <laughs> um, but but we, we do like to focus on community because we think it's important. You know, um, businesses supporting the neighborhood, the neighborhood supporting the business, the nonprofits working well within the two. And and that's how a successful community sort of thrives and grows and, and becomes the best that it can be. Um, one of the things that, that we wanted to sort of check in and chat with you, Rick, about is there's this thing called upzoning um, that is a little bit confusing and can, to me, well, and I'll let you speak more to this, but it, it seems like it could sort of disrupt that flow, that natural flow of community building and, and nourishing. Um, so I want to, can you explain to us what's sort of going, what upzoning is and, and how that's affecting um, this neighborhood in particular? Sure. So a little backstory on it to start off is there started to be a housing crisis in the city of Seattle. So the politicians got together. For people that are already housed or for those that are living People that are trying housing. to move here. Okay. So this is, this is uh, upzoning is not about uh, the homelessness or low income. It's basically trying to create uh, more housing for the tech workers that are moving here. Okay. Right. It would be awesome if we were talking about uh, homelessness and low income uh, families as far as like a part of this you know, strategy. Yeah. Um, but essentially they focused on what they call MHA or mandatory affordable housing, if you will. Okay. And that is imagine like the working class. That would be us, right? Because what, what they're building in the city is a city that's going to be so expensive that the working class can't even afford to live here. And we're going to be on a wait list um, to essentially try to get one of the units where it's like 30% below median income of the average citizen. And if the medium income of the average citizen is it's like two hundred thousand, you know, right. we're, you we're know, in trouble. Or, yeah, <laughs> that, that can happen down the road. Right now, it's probably around a hundred, you know, if I were to guess. Um, and so, what the process is essentially, you know, started where uh, working class people are being priced out of the city. So they're trying to combat that by upzoning and trying to create more units uh, in a very quick way. Um, but in Washington state, once when you give any right to a property owner, you can never take that away. And so the only time as a city and as politicians and as citizens that we have to negotiate with, um, essentially large scale development firms, um, is when you're going to upzone a property. 
And that's when you can have demands and asks. And so uh, the city kind of dropped the ball. Um, as what happened is back in the day, there was this deal called the Grand Bargain. And that was with our previous mayor, Ed Murray. And I think Mike O'Brien was the only other um, politician in the room at the time. They got together with a whole bunch of the you know main developers in the city, and they tried to create a way where they can apply mandatory affordable housing as a developer impact fee uh, in exchange for upzoning properties that they own or they're going to purchase, essentially. So imagine you take a two-story building and you turn it into 24 stories. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a huge profit margin to be made off of that. And so as a result of which, the city came in and said, hey, you're going to pay a certain percentage of, uh, of an, a developer impact fee to go to the city, or you can put the units in your building. And so what they ended up doing was doing a study, and they found that the developer impact fee should have been around 60 to $84 uh, per FAR calculator, which is, imagine, like a square foot calculator, okay. if you will, um, just with a few more things applied to it. So um, the developers didn't like that. So they created what was the grand bargain, which was essentially a closed-door deal, where they came in and said, hey, you know, we want to pay more like $17 per square foot, and uh, that's what you're going to do. And so now I just admitted I don't do math um, readily, but that seems like a pretty, um, what's the word I can use on the radio, terrible uh, deal. Yeah, <laughs> it's a horrible deal. Essentially what we're doing is we're selling off the skyline of our city for pennies on the dollar. Wow. San Francisco is around 90 to $98 a square foot calculator going into affordable housing. And we're at a comparable 17? City. Yeah, it's, it depends on how high they're going. Um, anyways, I would say $17 is a pretty fair, like, rough estimate of, you know, kind of the differences between the different um, M zonings. So um, at the end of the day, what, uh, what needs to happen is they needed to, well, it, a lot of this is now actually too far gone and it's behind us because they already actually upzone the city. So then after they upzone the major commercial uh, districts, then they were going through and upzoning the residential lots. And now they're trying to go back through and upzone uh, the U District again because my organization was successful in trying to work with the city and fight to preserve and save the Ave. Uh, we actually just did a fundraiser on August 10th. Uh, we raised over $2,000, and essentially what we're trying to create is the last small business incubator in the city uh, because small businesses are kind of disappearing. Um, and what we need to do is try to have areas of the city where that's kind of preserved and maintained and you know where they can survive and what is your what's your what's your organization called so if you want to go to the website it's udistrict.biz um, we actually still have the uh, donations going uh, right now if you if anybody wanted to donate um, it's the top right tab go down to donate um, essentially that's goes to the save the Ave campaign where we're trying to create um, a historic district for the U district um, there hasn't been one passed since Ballard Ballard Avenue um, so it's been, oh. you know, decades. So Seattle's due for another one, and we feel that uh, the Avenue District would be a good case study for that. Um, so what we're trying to do is hire professionals and to try to really push that envelope of uh, preservation. Because when you're preserving buildings and you're giving uh, property owners more resources, um, what you find is small businesses can kind of survive and thrive for longer. And is the fear that with the upzoning, so building up, then you're getting more expensive units going in, um, and then on the lower levels, the smaller businesses aren't able to, to pay the rent, aren't able to survive and thrive. 
Yes. And so new construction equals higher costs essentially is what it is. And they're like, oh, well, no, you know, businesses go in. Well, what you find is a lot of chain businesses kind of go in there, a lot of corporations and not uh, small businesses. So like a Starbucks and, or a yeah. Qdoba. And, yeah. and we did a study um, and which it was 49 percent was uh, women owned or folks of color. 65 percent. Uh, oh, sorry, 65 percent. Yeah. Uh, was women owned or minority owned businesses on the app on the app, um, which, you know, Makes sense that you think about the Ave. Um, there are a lot of one-story spots that you can kind of grab. Um, and, you know, like people, if you don't know about the Unistrick Needle Exchange history, it was started by um, Bob Quentin, who was a neighborhood person, and the original supply closets were all in businesses um, on the Ave. And it was businesses that really supported him and made it so certain exchange could happen. It would not have happened if it wasn't. Again, that idea of community supporting yep. community. Yeah, and a chain isn't necessarily willing, gonna let you hold boxes of syringes in your in their back, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that would be interesting to go get your mocha latte frappuccino and also pick up your needle. But you know, but like you know, um, Express Aroma, for example, had syringe boxes. Allegro Cafe had five doors up the shoe store. They they had. Um, supplies and stuff so it's like these are, and so we've always had these connections of businesses you know and you know the other thing I, this is just and I could be wrong I'd say but I just feel like the app has a lot more historical businesses um, per average than a lot of other areas yeah there's a lot of places that just have just been here forever yeah and been staples to our community and is that is your thought is that because it has been sort of untouched for a while in terms of major development or yeah, it's it's been affordable you know yeah. is essentially what it comes down to and when you have a whole bunch of small uh, storefronts that's more conducive to small businesses because you don't have the larger square footage that you're paying in rent um gotcha. and that that really helps uh, small businesses be able to survive and uh, so a lot of the big box stores kind of when you village started to happen a lot of the big box stores there was a place for them to go to they didn't need to be on and, you know, some, you know, like uh, you think about when McDonald's left, right? We got a Mongolian grill, a uh, small business, you know, to replace that McDonald's, you know. We got a... There used to be a Tower Records just down yeah, the street, right? Yeah, there's Tower Records on the Ave. There used yeah. to be a Nordstrom's on the Ave, actually. Really? Way back in the day. Okay. Tower Records is where the New Exchange started. Yeah. Right in front. Yep. Yep. And so what, what needs to happen is we need to, like, as citizens, kind of stand up and be like, you know... We're, we've given enough already towards, you know, development and upzoning the city, right? I mean, the U District alone has given up, you know, we've gone from, you know, two stories, literally 32-story buildings are going to be being built here. And so they try to act like, oh, you guys are against density and growth. And we're like, no, we're pro-growth and density, but at what point is it enough? You know, do you have to decimate the, like, entire city? Are you going to tear down the Space Needle and build condos there? You know, you have to have... Don't give anybody any idea. <laughs> I know. Hopefully not. You, um, have, you have to have kind of heart and souls and places, again, for community to exist. And small businesses and nonprofits are really where that thrive. So we should be, as a city and as politicians, be talking about ways to preserve them, not ways to upzone their properties and price them out even quicker. And that's the whole thing that they're trying to push for now, potentially, um, we're working with the city, you know, as, as we speak, you know, on a weekly basis to try to create the best, you know, solution forward with the app. Um, I, in my opinion, it should be down zoned, not up zoned. 
and it should be a place where it can small businesses can always survive because that's going to be our niche going forward in my opinion the best marketing strategy for the U district would be to have this you know awesome street where what it is now just maybe a little bit cleaned up you know maybe some more brick uh, and some new paint on some store facades um, and maybe get some type of grants going for those property owners or small businesses to be able to afford to do that um, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, again, is just another round of upzoning through the U District to essentially gentrify and price out the area. But and I love that idea of, of preserving a community and preserving a, a neighborhood that could be a destination spot, yeah. right? Where people come from small town Nebraska to, to the U District because they heard, oh, they've got all this great food, international food. They've got all these great boutiques and card shops and games stores and, and, and whatnot. Um, you'd think that that would be really attractive to the city. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that doesn't you know make them as much money as upzoning it and developers you know tearing it down and building it up. So if it is about affordable housing, right? Because that's what they why they're saying they're doing this. We have a housing shortage, and we need to create more affordable housing units. In my opinion, then sure, you know, build more affordable housing units, make it so the uh, the property owners or development firms have to put the units into the buildings. That way we have the wealthy mixed in with the affordable class slash working class. And then we should be all coming together and talking about solutions for low income and homelessness. Um, and at the end of the day, until we kind of build that community feel where we're all in this together and we stop trying to be like, oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to build this affordable housing unit on this part of the city or over here and not in the communities where the, essentially the buildings were torn down. Because what you find a lot, a lot of times is it's actually affordable units that they're tearing down. So what they should be doing is at least is one-for-one one replacement of those affordable units. Anytime that you actually go in and tear down a unit where they were paying what they consider affordable rents, that developer should have to put you know build X amount of those units back into the city Instead right away. Instead of putting it in some fund that is only like yeah, the $20. City, yeah. Well, and, and for me, I think densification is for the community like what does the community get out of this are we getting a place for a new daycare are we getting you know a, a food bank are we getting a more affordable housing and i you know we know developers are going to make their money right right and, and i'm not opposed to them making their money but then I, I also don't want this just to be a land grab i'd like the i i don't want the neighborhood to still always be gaining and so yeah let's densify um, but let's do it in a way that we can protect the uh, small businesses, protect the historical businesses, protect the nonprofits, and build a stronger uh, community with low-income places, uh, low-income housing. Because to be perfectly honest, the heartbreak I always have is I was a street kid in this neighborhood, and I stayed because I love this neighborhood. And so where is the next generation? Like, where, the, where can they even move to? They're going to live in Tukwila and commute to this neighborhood. And, yep. and, and that's going to be because, you know, it, it's residents like me who have that long-standing care for the place and have a little more historical perspective, right, and deeply care about uh, what happens for this neighborhood. And we don't want a situation where you just, if you have money, you get the privilege of living in the U District. Right. Well, one of the things that, that in, in sort of doing a little bit of research for, for this topic um, I went online, um, and uh, some people would say I'm somewhat fairly educated on a good day. 
Um, and some people, I, I was waiting for that. <laughs> um, but but trying to do a little bit of research on it, I, I found it very confusing. And so I I, I wonder. Um, for folks that are living in this community and, and, and other communities and other neighborhoods, like what are what are some suggestions that you have or uh, some resources or websites that you would recommend? So if people want to get involved and feel passionate about this, um, they can get some accurate information uh, and some leads on how to be um, active. Yeah, I would say reach out to me directly, uh, rick at bigtimebrewery.com um, or reach out to our small business association, udistrict.biz or savetheab.org. Um, you know, there's plenty of ways for them to, if they want to get in contact, they can just walk into big time and say, Hey, I want to talk to Rick about affordable housing or upzoning. Um, I'm here uh, for anybody, you know, at the end of the day. And what, but again, what we need to start talking about is the fact that, you know, it is hard to understand because mm-hmm. they are changing the maps and stuff all the time. I found like four different maps that were like, um, uh, proposal one, proposal two, proposal three. Um, oh, this is a different one, different color codings. One map that I looked at um, a further U district had uh, color coded uh, zones for um, industrial business, uh, multifamily uh, housing. Uh, there was a color, the yellow color for affordable housing, and I could not find a yellow square or dot on that particular map. Which yeah. Drove me crazy because I, I kept zooming in and zooming out. Like maybe I'm 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 missing it. I'm getting old. Yep. I'm not colorblind. There was just no dot. It's because this is for affordable housing, right? <laughs> but it's hard to find. Um, yeah. Hopefully the city will you know be spending some more money and building some more units here soon. But at the end of the day, what we need to do is increase the developer impact fees. We need to have politicians in place that will actually stand up and say, you know what, you've been running our city for long enough. You know, we can't do anything about the properties that they've essentially already upzoned because then once when they have that, you know, so it's it's imaginary, right? They, so they buy this building that's four stories and then they take it to 32 stories. Those stories don't exist yet, but once when it's been zoned to that, they, we have no rights to limit what they can do with their property. And Washington State actually has some of the most regressive tax laws and some of the most regressive property laws, right? I mean, there's a reason there's every, like, you know, major... Uh, corporation in the world, you know, that wants to be in Washington State, is right. because we literally give everything to them, and they have so much power and so much say. Um, and we need to start changing that, in my opinion, in the city. Uh, we we tried to do that head tax. Um, in my opinion, the head tax request was a little on the high end. We should have reduced it by about half, and then applied that to directly to the corporations. Um, that way, it could have actually been passed, and then down the road, we could have tried to increase it. Um, because what people forget is we had a head tax in Seattle until 2008 when the recession happens, and then they removed it. Um, so it's not this whole radical idea that they were trying to play off. Um, but what we need to start having is a solutions to keep working-class families and working-class people in the city. Um, actually living where they work. We're living where they work, yeah. yeah. And one of the best ways you can do that is actually not upzone a massive property uh, or a small property and turn it into a massive property. You could actually keep that small property and renovate it. Um, that would be a great solution because what we're talking about here is this next round of up zones in the U district. We've already been up zoned. We, we've allowed more density in the U district in any other neighborhood in the city other than downtown, right? So we are already giving 32 story towers, 24 story towers, and there's already six of them planned to be built. We're, we're allowing change. We're allowing density. What we're asking for is still to have, you know, one street where it's human scale, where we can actually see sunlight, 
where we right. can actually have small businesses and where we can actually allow community to exist. Well, and I, I looked at one of the more modern ones where you uh, that they had up that you can kind of zoom in and zoom out. It's, I mean, the whole city is getting upzoned. I mean, they're doing all 45th through Wallingford. There's whole sections rezoned in, um, uh, like, most of Capitol Hill, like the old-style Broadway area is oh, looks like it's being upzoned. It's a whole section of Green Lakes being upzoned. I mean, it's it's the you know it's definitely block by block throughout the whole city. Um, is a major change in our city. I mean, the the single family home structure um, is definitely going to go away. Well, the new norm now is like one of those ugly townhomes that it's like three stories with a garage and an impossible yep. parking. And, um, and there's there's pros and cons <laughs> to both. You know, it's good to have single-family homes. It's good to have some homes where, say, the person doesn't live there and they're renting it out to be able to rent it out to two different families. You know, there's there's ebbs and flows, and each neighborhood should be able to have a say as to what they're really looking for in their neighborhood. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what we need to get to is actually neighborhood-driven development and actually allow community groups to exist and be funded um, where it's not just essentially sponsored and run by the city or development firms. Well, I mean, my frustration was when we redid the city council, they were supposed to, we were going to have more say and control over our, our elected officials. And I feel, you know, my experience with Rob Johnson was that he would tell me one thing, smile, and do the exact opposite later. Um, and, you know, even like, you know, with Swant, too, um, Swant uh, seemed to... You know, I talk to people in Capitol Hill in their district, and it's hard to even get a hold of her. You know, it seems like it, it seems like the same politics. Yeah, uh, and let's uh, be let's be honest about Rob Johnson for a minute, right? Yeah. So oh, we're getting real. Yeah, we're getting real. real. All right, he left. We're in our speedos. Well, so he, he still well. had a year left in office. He hammered these up zones down our throat. He didn't take community input that as he should have. They had essentially their own community organizations that they created where they tried to act like they were working with community, but in reality they weren't. They were working with, you know, commercial property owners and large, you know, corporations that were going to make tons of money off of this. They weren't going to, I mean, I walked up and down the street the first time they were doing the upzones, and 90% of small businesses didn't even know that they were even doing that and that they were passing it. And I was like, no, you got to come, you know, like next month, we got to go, you know, fight this and, you know, have a voice. And then none of them were even informed. And then they talk about, oh, we had all these meetings and this and that. And it's like, yeah, that's just you and your buddies getting together talking about what you want to do with the city. That's not actually community outreach. And so that was one of my biggest frustrations with them. The other frustration is he left, well, he still had a year left in office to go work for essentially a development firm. So he's hammering down all these up zones where these development firms are going to heavily benefit and I mean, at some point, you kind of kind of look at it, it's like got to be a conflict of interest because you know that those companies were coming to him while he was still in office to get that job, right? And so, say what a year ago he was talking to them, and then he finally quits. You know, while he still has a year left, so he had two years in office where he was actually potentially serving, the, you know, the his constituents. Mm. So what we need to actually do is hold accountability a to our politicians. And right now we have an interim person, Abel Pacheco, who was the only person that didn't vote to save the show box at first. You know, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only person on the council to not try to push for that. And, um, you know, is not has uh, gone on record and not supportive trying to save the app. And he is not somebody that was voted in 
And uh, of all the, you know, candidates that were running for, you know, our district, there were only one, there was only one that publicly said that they were not in support of, you know, trying to uh, save or help the AV and not upzone it. And that was Sean Scott. Um, he is running against Alex Peterson, who um, obviously for, you know, purposes uh, is, has earned my support and has earned my individual praise because he has gone to City Hall and he has fought, you know, alongside next to me for, you know, small businesses, for nonprofits, for the things that are right in the city. And I've seen him with my own eyes stand up and give amazing speeches. And that's all city record. You can see those, um, you know, where he has stood up for the working class and stood up for the residents of the communities, not the residents that are going to potentially move here. And that's what we need is we need politicians that are fighting for us. So the, the us that is already here, yeah, within the community. Because development firms are always going to essentially win out most of the time, where we're going to have, and we already have tons of density coming to the city. Now, what we got to start talking about is preservation, and what we got to start talking about is the people that are here and how can we help them? How can we help the homeless? How can we help the nonprofits survive? I mean, we're in a building, you know, that's being threatened and has been upzoned, you know. And I don't know if you guys want to talk about that. We, we are absolutely in a building that's upzone. We're in a building that's being torn down. And this radio station that you're listening to will need to find a new home. And we have not guaranteed that this, even the radio station we're talking in um, will survive. Um, and it's something that I deeply want to keep alive. I think, to be perfectly honest, uh, treatment in this neighborhood is a giant question mark if I can't figure out a new home. Um, for our um, program and you know we took what 30 years to get treatment back and you know I'll be damned if I uh, lose it in a year right and so we are actively looking at uh, lots of different possibilities um, and you know it's I think you know they sold it the church sold it honestly not even a very nice developer um, they're gonna they're gonna put in two towers that's gonna be above market rate uh, student housing that'll be completely furnished and when we when I went to the community meeting every single sentence that started by the developers mouth was by law we cannot discriminate right and that's every the start of every sentence is not a good conversation you're going into yep um, and so you know and I think like Scott, and again, as representative of PRA, we're not endorsing any candidate. Um, but I can tell you that um, Scott has the reputa reputation of being the more lefty of them, but he has not. We have reached out to him uh, several times to even try to get him on the radio sh uh, show, and he hasn't uh, responded. I even talked to people in his campaign. He, he hasn't responded. Um, he seems to be um, left when it comes to middle class uh, families and, you know, let's say not as left when it comes to working class people. Um, he doesn't seem to have a lot of, um, he doesn't spend a lot of time in the U district, let's just say. Um, and um, Peterson, you know, I every time I've reached out to him, he, his his office has communicated. We're looking to try to get him on the show 
to um we're gonna sh- it's gonna be a little tricky because we have two shows left before the election yeah so we're gonna try to at least get one of them uh if not uh, try not to do the battle royale with to have them both on <laughs> especially not in the hot studio with speedos yeah um but the invitation definitely does stand for 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 both candidates to come um and and explain what their platforms are and and hopefully be open to some um honest tough questions that that we may have or we may elicit from our studio audience well i guess not studio audience but our at home audience the two of them scott and mother tinsley um yeah i mean i think this is a a a clear i think the zoning for the city the way we did our city councils hasn't quite played out yet i think it's going to take a couple more elections to really get um kind of the collaborations and the kind of voting blocks to to get you know um people that and that are really neighborhood connected um and i still think big money um and old money in this town is uh pushing their weight around oh completely Um, and we saw that with the head tax yeah right right you know which was um disappointing yeah i mean we saw how fast our politicians will cower to money and power and that's what we need is we need politicians that actually have a backbone. And that's why I'm supporting Alex Peterson, because he's literally gone to City Hall as a citizen and fought for what he believes is right. And that, that to me, is huge. And what you're talking about there, they actually will communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Well, and that is everything, having politicians in place that will have open conversations and discussions with you actively. Even d- difficult ones. Even difficult yeah. ones. And that's, I mean, I'm not going to agree with either, you know, candidate all, you know, fully. You know, I, I would say I definitely lean more left. Um, but what I find too much is it, we, you, there's these kind of like leftist um, politicians and people that are running where they're like, I support LGBTQ, I support this, I support that. But then you actually look at their fiscal and economic strategies and policies and they're heavily right. You know, so you're like, well, you support the left, you know, kind of ideals, but what you're talking about is going to hurt the working class and the citizens that are there now. And so that's what we have to actually start talking about is their economic strategies and, you know, their fiscal strategies for growth and for planning the city, you know, going forward. Well, and, you know, I, I always look at their community organizing ability. How many, like, it, with, like, the two candidates that are left in the 4th District, right? Um, how many people do I know who worked with that campaign, volunteering with that campaign? They're in the 4th District. I'm in the 4th District. And, it, you know, you can start really quickly seeing which one of them has a much bigger grassroots uh, campaign. I mean, I talked to um, one of the people from Sean Scottson. I'm not trying to just pick on him here, but you know, I, um, he, the, his organizer was like, oh yeah, yeah, he's from the neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, he's from the U district. Oh no, 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 not from the U district, you know, but from the district. And I'm like, he doesn't come. Da- they say he doesn't come down to this part of the neighborhood. I'm like, you mean the center part of the district? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's he would represent us. It's a big deal if he doesn't like come down here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, politics is tricky and it's hard. But <laughs> what matters to me is action. And so again, that's why Alex Peterson earned my support is because he takes action. So we, you have been uh, a friend and guest of the show. Uh, yeah. This is your third time here, and I think um, you're very pa- your passion, um, your ability to talk about these issues uh, is just incredible. Um, 
question for you that I think I've asked you <laughs> twice now. Um, in light of your passion and, and eloquence in these issues, uh, will we be seeing your name on a ballot anytime soon? No. no. Okay. I'm a small business owner, and I find that, I mean, I've been successful in stopping an upzone on the app twice as a citizen. You know, I go and I meet my other small business owners. I meet the other nonprofits. I try to build community, and I'm doing this as a citizen. And that's what we have to start really looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying, you know, we can start to make change if we put in the effort, if we dedicate the time. I mean, it does. It costs me lots of money, lots of time, lack of sleep, you know. And But at the end of the day, it's what's best for the community, in my opinion. You know, right? Other people are going to have their own opinions, but I feel that the big businesses are always going to make their money. We should be focusing on the residents, the nonprofits, and the small businesses and trying to give as much resources and aid to them as possible, right? Because that's, that's kind of what nobody you know, helps, nobody talks about. And until we kind of make that our focal point, um, I feel that I, we have to put in politicians that will at least address it and start to help it. Um, but as a citizen, I feel I can be hopefully just as powerful and successful as politicians because that's the way the city should run. Okay. Well, I, I will ask you next time you come on the show again. <laughs> I, 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 do, I do. But I think, uh, I think Rick is part of that U district, you know, culture of like community and neighborhood. Some of it's like a little lesions and tribalism, but a lot of it is like caring, you know, and, trying to solve problems like and i feel like for me i will work with anyone who wants to solve the problem yeah. even if i disagree with them yep right but i'm I, i'm kind of over this new seattle of just like anger and rage and and just wants to complain about uh, the problem but you know we can solve there's no problem you gotta do something about it yeah, yeah we take do action if, yeah if if a third of the city showed up at city hall and said hey we want to stand up for small businesses. We want to do this. You know, Dota Ups on the app. Believe me, they would cower, you know, immediately because they'd be like, oh, I have to run a re-election uh, re campaign right now. Okay, I'm going to listen to this, you know, because right. this is what the people stood up and wanted. And the problem is, is what, you know, Shiloh was kind of touching on is a lot of the people that know Seattle that have been here for a while are disappearing. And what we need to have is the people that have kind of seen what these changes and how they've been implemented and are starting to get educated about, you know, the process of it. They need to stand up and really be like, you know what, my voice needs to be heard because I remember what Seattle was like 10 years ago. I remember what Seattle was like 20 years ago and actually try to steer the direction of growth of the city with respect to its past and its current citizens. And the future, keeping and the, the future, future in sight. But but yeah, no, I I, I agree. And, and again, it, to loop it back to this idea of community and fostering community so that it can flourish and grow for the people that are there currently, not just thinking of who you can attract with a, a fancy, ugly high rise, but for the, the mom and pop store or the big time um, and all of its bands. Like, how do we how do we preserve that? You mentioned um, a couple of different websites that I think would be awesome to repeat so folks that are uh, either finally got home from their commute or um, are diligently looking for a pen and pencil. Um, so if they, folks want to get involved, they can log on and go to... udistrict.biz or uh, save the Ave, or uh, they can email me directly, rick at bigtimebrewery.com. Oh, or you know, they can come into Big Time and talk to me. 
Um, you know, not everybody has the ability to commute or whatnot, but um, the resources are there. Um, what we need is just more residents, more people getting informed and actually understanding like, oh, our city has already been upzoned. What we're talking about already is another round of upzoning where, <laughs> you know, that's, an, I mean, j- and just getting people to understand that to begin with um, is, I mean, that's crazy that the city is already trying. I mean, granted, they tried to upzone the Ave twice. Uh, we were, again, successful installing it, and I'm hoping that we're successful installing it again. Uh, that way we can try to pass a historic district overlay on it, and we can try to keep as many uh, affordable housing units that are on the Ave right now there and as many you know, uh, small businesses, nonprofits that are there now. And is there information on the websites that you mentioned yeah. uh, uh, around the historical district? Thing? Yeah, so that's, so that's why we're running our fundraiser right now is to really get that uh, up and going. Another thing that our organization is working on is kind of like a, a legacy or iconic uh, business um, app where, you know, as residents and citizens, you can kind of go on and assess um, different small businesses um, and uh, do they give back to community? Um, are they owned by a, a woman or a person of color? Um, you know, how long have they been in, uh, in business? And, and actually just kind of like create like an app that shows the businesses that care. Um, so we're trying to go, we're trying to get a grant for that now, um, because that would be amazing if you just open up your phone and be like, wow, I'm right next to this awesome small business that does this, this, and this for community. I want to go support them, Yeah. you know, or, you know, I'm, I'm from Malaysia too, and they're from Malaysia. I want to go support them, you know, and, and just try to create, um, this idea of, um, you know, that, uh, the people that do give back, um, matter. And we can try to, uh, you know, essentially put them up and try to show what a great iconic place this is in the city. Well, I, for one, support you and the efforts, and I will be checking out these websites. Um, we can try to get um, the links to websites on our social media yeah. for all of our fans that follow us. Um, yeah, and well, one of the things I've been thinking about doing, actually, for 321 Radio, and, you know, I'll probably... Um, we'll probably do it with the Save the App. Is I want to do like a little more of like a walking tour videos of uh, the neighborhood and really talk about like what businesses were here before in these buildings, a little more history of the neighborhood. I mean, Allegro Cafe is a great a great example. Most people don't know it was a mortuary. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, That'll wake you up. <laughs> um, and you know, our original supply closet was downstairs, and there was some of the mortuary equipment that was like left. From there, like the formaldehyde little buckets and stuff, <laughs> wow. and and you, it is the creepiest basement that I have been in, and you know, and uh, that's where we had to keep supplies. <laughs> so, um, but you know, there's a lot of like, and there are a lot of cool things like you know, if Thai 65, right? If you go in the back of Thai 65 and you walk, walk on the side door, it takes you out the door into the Allegro. I did not know that. Right, like all the little hidden weird things in the in the neighborhood, uh, and the buildings that are all interconnected. Um, so, yeah, and just like you know where the open door clinic was, and there's a lot of like great cool history history about this place. Um, and so, I think you know we should do more of those kind of historical pieces of uh, our culture before. And, and some people will say, oh, the Ave needs to be upzoned. It's looking run down. Well, that is the problem of property owners not giving their business tenants long-term leases. And that's another thing we need to address as a city. Because at the end of the day, we can't you know, restrict property owners what they're going to do with their property. 
but we need to bring to light property owners that are kind of being more of like a slumlord because that can't happen. And as citizens, we need to stand up against that. And you can't believe how many small businesses on the ever happen to pay month to month, you know, so they can't even get a one-year lease or a five-year lease because, uh, you know, that's it's just the, the where property owners are at right now. They're like, oh, my property is doubling in value every year, you know, and th that's the wrong mentality to have. The best mentality to have is, you know, as a property owner is, hey, I, my property is going up in value. So no matter what, I will make money down the road. What can I do to try to work with my business tenants who are having to pay more of that property tax through their triple net lease? Because that's another thing people forget is small businesses are the ones that are covering those taxes, right? Not property owners don't even cover it. They have, they have, that's, that's a triple net lease is property tax, property mortgage, property upkeep are essentially carried over to their tenants. And that's what they have to pay. And as taxes increases, it directly affects them that month, wow. you know? And so we need to actually, you know, just really start to educate ourselves as to how these policies work and, you know, stand up for the small businesses and go shop at them that we care about because they are disappearing in the city and we need to do more for them. Um, and until we kind of really rise up um, as Seattle citizens that are, you know, I mean, we're a smart, educated, great city. You know, we need to start putting, you know, uh, really our time and our effort and our money towards these iconic places. Yeah. And you, uh, as a Seattle citizen, your biggest power is your pocketbook. Yep. Right. Yep. Where you choose to spend money, where you choose to support um, uh, means a lot and can be the difference between making and breaking it for a lot of uh, small businesses. And I can still say I have not bought anything on Amazon. Wow. And had it shipped to my house. I can still say that. That being said, I have requested to my significant other, like, hey, that'd be good if we had that. You know? <laughs> so I did do that a couple of times. Well, that's why we have significant others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much, uh, Rick, for the work that you do, for the passion that you have for the neighborhood and for the community. Um, and thanks for being on the show uh, yet again uh, on Speedo Wednesday of all days. Um, <laughs> Final words, Shiloh. Um, yeah, I think uh, the final words that I could give to any of our listeners is if you care about this community, um, really volunteer, engage it, shop there, and be a part of it. I think that's good. All right, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, thanks, Mother Tinsley and Scott. Uh, we'll be back next month for another uh, exciting episode. <laughs>